Welcome to the Faithful Music Master podcast, Musings of a Forever Musician Learner. This is Opening Up the Bible, Episode 5, the fifth Sunday after Pentecost. Hello, thank you for joining me today. I hope that everybody is enjoying their longer days of summer and... I'll have to say that I'm actually getting more and more excited because Canada is finally starting to open up their borders more um, and they're lifting many of these uh, quarantine requirements. So I'll be able to uh, travel there soon and I'll definitely be able to get more of the ball rolling um, on my move. So basically to help me get settled um, before I start school. The tea that I'm drinking today is a jasmine green tea and i guess the description says that it's a jasmine pearl or pearl jasmine um, because the tea leaves are actually uh, rolled up into little balls but when you brew it the balls unravel and then they just become regular tea leaves and so that's what i'm drinking today um i'm basically hoping not to stay up too late if caffeine has any effect on me uh, which i highly doubt that it does this week's gospel is from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his cloak. For she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd, and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. Of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, 
He said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside, and took the child's father and mother, and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand, and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was twelve years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Alright, there's a lot to be said here, and um, since I can't really follow too much of a narrative uh, structure, I'm just going to go ahead and um, just give little titles of these different things that I wanted to focus on. So this first one is, Jesus heals along the way, just like in the Passion. Oftentimes, I hear about Jesus' ministry being described entirely in one aspect or another. One moment, he's teaching. Another moment, he's healing. Another moment, he's walking. I think something else that really feeds into this differentiation is the fact that many sermon writers take it upon themselves to connect various readings together to reach a singular message or theme, which seems to be both the weekly challenge and the expectation. This is also encouraged by the collect, even if it's not always relevant to the set of readings. However, this week's gospel shows us that Jesus did not just do one thing at a time. If anything, this passage is something of an ADHD gospel, if I can say, showing us that Jesus too jumped between different things during his ministry, often concurrently. The thing is that Jesus knew what he was doing, and he did not refuse people just because he was so focused on one task at hand. He could have let the woman alone, allowing her to be healed and not pointing this out to the crowd. He could have forgotten her because he was so focused on the task. Instead, he used that moment to teach all those around him that a woman could break out of societal norms and approach Jesus. And so, through this journey to heal Jairus' daughter, he ends up welcoming an unclean woman and heals her and reminds her that she can be made whole. And I'll talk more about that detail in a little bit. This passage also shows us how intersectionality works. Again, one way you can think of it is like ADHD. Another way is really thinking about intersectionality, which I guess is kind of a pop word for today. Um, but I think it's really important. Many times, in order to get any policy changed, we have to form communities around particular issues, especially because these changes require the dominant powers to relinquish their power that they had had built up for themselves over generations of discrimination and exploitation. However, just because people are trying to congregate around a single issue doesn't mean that just that one issue matters. Unfortunately, this separation of different issues has been a major issue, or a major problem, for different causes. For example, women's suffrage in the United States began as a purely white movement, one where the rights of black people, not only the women but everyone else, did not matter to the protesters. 
There are even some major leaders of the early women's suffrage movement who are quoted as saying that they couldn't care less about black rights. Even when the civil rights movements are taught in schools, different figures are pointed out as belonging to single issues rather than intersectional causes. Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. were not just fighting for the rights of black people to sit in the front of the bus. They weren't just working on purely black rights. They both spoke out against economic injustices, the rights of poor people, the rights of Latinx and indigenous people, and all people of color. Coretta Scott King even openly fought for the rights of LGBTQ plus people, even though she herself was heterosexual. Marsha P. Johnson did not just fight for gay men to be married. She fought for the rights of trans plus people, for lesbians, for sex workers, and for so many other causes. Even the Black Lives Matter movement isn't just focused on the rights of black men and their families affected by their murders. They are fighting for the rights of the poor, of LGBTQ plus people, for other people of color. All of these great leaders fought for different issues, perhaps seeming to lead the crowds on the way to Jairus' house to heal his daughter, but they have all ended up supporting those who were struggling and crying out along the way. Jesus breaks down the societal laws. This gospel passage, especially in the context of the beginning of Mark chapter 5, where Jesus heals the men possessed by demons, shows a progression of Jesus reaching further and further into the world of the unclean or the untouchable. He began by reaching out to a man that would have been unclean because of his association with the tombs, since touching dead bodies rendered one unclean. In Numbers 19.11, it says, Those who touch the dead body of any human being shall be unclean seven days. And perhaps there were other implications with the fact that he was possessed by demons, and we can't forget the idea of the pigs being infested with the demons and running off to die. And again, pigs were also unclean for eating. As it says in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 7, the pig, for even though it has divided hooves and is cleft-footed, it does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. Then we get to the gospel passage where Jesus first begins to walk to heal an ailing girl. In the middle of that walk, a woman who is unclean because of her bleeding walks up to touch Jesus' cloak and is healed. Now let's talk about this context for a second. According to Levitical law, women are basically forced to isolate from their communities for nearly a quarter of their life after they start menstruation. And I don't know if they got into menopause, um, so I don't know if that sort of clocks out towards the end of their lives, but still, this is an awful lot. As it says in Leviticus 15:19, when a woman has a discharge of blood that is her regular discharge from her body, she shall be in her impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And that's really just messed up. And Jesus really made sure to defy that ruling um, just by approaching and really um, teaching women and um, really giving roles to women throughout the Gospels as we read. 
Now the woman that approached him was even worse off because she was bleeding past the prescribed isolation. Again, she had had this for years. Now again, in Leviticus 15.25, it says, If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanliness, as in the days of her impurity she shall be unclean. Now, rather than just ignore the fact that she was unclean and that she had been healed, Jesus points out the woman and blesses her in public. He shows by example how we can break down societal barriers through our actions. Then, after hearing that Jairus' daughter is dead, rendering her body unclean for Jesus to approach, don't forget what I just read about dead bodies, Jesus continues to the house and grabs the hand of the girl and raises her to life. These examples show us that Jesus came to break down barriers that we have set up for whatever reasons. In the height of the AIDS epidemic, many people treated HIV positive people with such repulsion as to isolate themselves from them in the name of quote-unquote cleanliness. There were ideas that a toilet seat could be infected or that even shaking hands with someone else would spread the disease. Even today, although this has been coming down over the years, HIV negative people still call themselves quote unquote clean, implying that those who are HIV positive are unclean, echoing the same idea from Levitical law. Even after science has proven that there is no way to catch HIV from people other than the transfer of bodily fluids, there are still people who act as if being anywhere near a paused person is putting oneself in danger. In addition to that, HIV treatment has advanced to the point that paused people can be rendered undetectable through medication and other treatments, and people who are undetectable have been shown to be unable to transmit the disease to others. In other words, the hem of Jesus' cloak, through the work of scientists, has healed an ostracized community. But many of us in the LGBTQ community act as Pharisees, never accepting our paused siblings as fully human, fully beloved, or fully included. We have to take Jesus' example and remember that we are all called to break down the walls that divide us practices that isolate us, and ideologies that divide us. Jesus can heal after all has been tried. In both situations presented in this week's gospel passage, the situations are hopeless. The woman had spent all her money on treatments through different doctors and couldn't be healed. Also, how sad is it that after 2,000 years, we still have people dying because they can't afford medical treatment, even in first world countries? How sad is it that politicians, especially in the United States, claiming to have the gospel in their hearts, will continue to put up barriers that put so many more people into this exact same situation that this woman faced in the gospel? Jesus teaches us through so many different examples, and we have to listen and put it into practice. Otherwise, Jesus will continue to yell at us, Why do you not have faith? Anyways, the second impossible situation is that the girl who was sick was pronounced dead. 
Both of these situations tell us that there is hope. We can approach Jesus with all our burdens, and he will heal us and bless us and send us on our way. Jesus also reaches for us whenever we are so mired in things that make us feel so unclean in front of those around us, and heals us and wakes us up so we can continue on our journey. Now for the main narrative, which is that of the young girl. But before I continue with this last part, I do need to point out an issue with the Oxford Study Bible's commentary, which is championed um, by seminarians and priests and even scholars outside of, um, outside of religious institutions, like perhaps religious scholars or um, some other hum uh, humanities uh, majors, um, because this book has um, more of a scholarly point of view and has gone through supposedly a um, rigorous review process. Um, now this commentary for Mark chapter 5 verse 42 is problematic. I'll just go ahead and read exactly the wording that it is. So it says, The young woman at twelve approaching marriage appears to be dead, yet Jesus restores her to life and presumably the ability to reproduce new life in and of Israel. I'm not going to apologize for this at all. All I can say is yikes. Like, that's what I wrote down in my Bible. I just, yikes. It's, I can't believe that this made it through. It's in the third edition, and it's also in the fourth edition, which supposedly is a whole revamp of that Bible. So when I first read this, and even when I read it again, it keeps on sounding like the commentator is saying that the young girl's mission in life is to bear children and nothing else. And that's just not right. And honestly, the writer of the commentary is a man. So it only figures that a man would actually write something disparaging about the role of women, even if this is talking from a modern standpoint on an old society. This is just not some, this is just, it's just not right. And if we're reading in the context of this um, gospel, even women in the very same gospel, they serve many different purposes, not just that of childbearing or child rearing. And like, there are so many women in the Bible, well, in the New Testament, especially, that are described outside of their roles of bearing children. This young woman has served once as an example for people to follow and to understand Jesus' teachings and miracles, and she may have done so much more throughout the rest of her life. Unfortunately, I don't know if we have that much information about her after she was raised from the dead, but still, she's such an important figure in the Bible and such an important character for this week's gospel passage to even imply that her only purpose in life was to bear children is to completely miss the point. Now, back to the gospel passage specifically. So in healing this young girl, Jesus brings up an important point for those around her. He healed the girl who was 12 years old and who probably had a long life ahead of her. Rather than just leave the people behind, he ordered them to give her something to eat. This is a reminder that we have to continue to do what we know in all that we undertake. 
Yes, God guides our lives and our actions and will bring things into great fruition, oftentimes in miraculous ways. However, we can't just wait around doing nothing before, during, or after a miracle. If the people around the girl didn't feed her, she could have gotten ill again. She was still a daughter who was growing up, needing food and probably guidance and definitely love. This is just like the healing of the woman from before. Jesus knew that there was always work to be done. In the same way, we have to remember that there is work to be done. If we start a new ministry to serve a specific community, we can't just leave that community alone once the building is built, or once the book is written, or once the news interview is finished, or once the policy is passed. Instead, we have to continue working with the new community, building up new leaders, and constantly checking in on what issues need to be watched out for. We can't just leave something alone after one issue or one goal is resolved. We are all called to continue to put in the work wherever we are sent. The U.S. government made Juneteenth a national holiday uh, just this past week. However, there are still no reparations, no truth and reconciliation, no support for black communities, no pardons, nothing, nothing at all. God only knows what will happen in the future, but an action without support just fails as soon as it starts. Jesus taught us to continue supporting those who need our help. There are so many things in this week's Gospel reading. The main things are intersectionality, breaking down barriers, and hope. Jesus led by example, showing us that we don't have to be single-issue Christians. Jesus' ministry involved calling all barriers into question, breaking down anything that was unjust and discriminatory. Jesus showed us hope whenever we work to approach him, and he showed us hope for whenever we feel we are so far away or even unaware. In the end, our faith heals us, and sends us along the way. So for this week, I wanted to suggest um, the song called Cancion de Sanidad, which is written by Juan Luis Guerra, who's a, a pretty popular um, Latino artist, um, both in the secular world and also in the uh, Christian world. And this song in particular always comes to mind whenever I hear this week's gospel passage about the woman um, with the hemorrhage. It turns that story into a conversation, and it's especially about her plea for healing. In singing this song, it becomes more personal, like this conversation um, becomes more personal because the story is an example for us to follow in our own walk of faith. And so I'll go ahead and read you the text in Spanish, and then I'll have my translation afterwards. Ven, tócame, Señor. Quiero recibir tu preciosa unción. Ven, sáname, Señor. Que un milagro hoy quiero yo de ti. En el nombre de Jesús recibo sanidad. He tocado el borde de su manto. 
sano estoy por su Espíritu Santo. In the translation, come, touch me, Lord. I want to receive your blessing. Come, heal me, Lord, for I want a miracle from you today. In the name of Jesus, I am healed. I have touched the hem of his cloak. I am healed by his Holy Spirit. Sí.
Thank you so much for joining and listening to me. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Also, feel free to reach out to me via Instagram or Twitter. I'll keep links in the show description. And um, please check that description for um, any other links and notes and kind of stuff that I've talked about. And I hope to see you next time. Thank you very much. Have a nice day.